Even though we can give 10x performance and ease of management, the benefit here is you consume our product either on AWS in the cloud, for example, or through some of the server partners you've known and loved for years. Hewlett Packard, Dell, Supermicro, Hitachi Ventara, Penguin, etc. So you keep buying from who you're doing business with traditionally. And then like 20 years ago, you might have bought a computer from Intel inside. You know, we use Weka within. So people say, hey, I'll buy that new HPE DL325 or a big twin from Supermicro, but I want to have Weka within it. Hi, and welcome to Conversations with Des. I'm your host, Des Blanchfield. Today, I'm joined in the studio by Ken Groey. Now, Ken is President and Chief Revenue Officer, or CRO, for Weka.io. Ken, welcome to the show. Great to have you here. Hi, Des. I'm a longtime listener and fan and first-time guest. Can't wait. Indeed, and I have been very keen to get you on the show, and we've been talking about it for some time now. So firstly, great to have you here. Now, today's conversation is going to be an interesting one because your organization's uniquely positioned in, in what we're going to talk about around data and AI and leveraging the value from that data through AI projects. And I'd like to get into a couple of key topics around that with you. And just for our listeners, we're going to talk about Weka, the company, uh, your, your Weka file system and, and the whole Weka journey so far and how you got to where you are now. The role that high-performance scale-out storage plays in data analytics and particularly artificial intelligence and, and I guess more importantly machine learning in the short term. Where the whole technical performance versus operational and cost performance uh, conversation goes to. And then we're going to do a little bit of crystal ball gazing around some of the key roles that you see uh, playing an important part in sort of the next 12 to 18 months and beyond with all things considered that we're going to talk about today. But I wonder if maybe we can kick off with just a, a quick sort of intro to you and your role, and, and then we'll sort of talk about Weka, the company. What's a day in the life of Ken Groey like cur- currently? And I, I, I guess let's maybe do a pre-COVID-19 and then a post-COVID-19. When we think about your role as president and chief revenue officer, what's a day in the life of Ken Groey like normally pre-COVID-19? Well, great. Let me do pre-COVID. Pre-COVID was vicious amounts of flying, uh, internationally and domestic, obviously. I use United. I'm not giving a shout out, but uh, aggregated as far as miles, but lots of lots of travel, lots of lots of at least for the first 12 weeks of a 13 week quarter, tons of travel, trying to meet with customers and new partners Um, on the partner side, people that have developed an AI practice, not to disrespect the other partner ecosystem, but people, if you've built up a practice and see some yield and dividends from them, that's where I spent my time. Um, specifically, it is unique. You're right. There aren't many presidents and chief revenue officers. I chose the role and I was recruited specifically for it because I had some expertise on SaaS. In fact, I built my own company on SaaS and I've been in storage for over 25 years. So um, before COVID, my job was to make the number, travel, meet with customers. And I liked the role because I got to create the leads and the lead flow own the number, make the number. And then I also own obviously customer success and customer satisfaction. So the NPS is a direct result of my organization. So if I can have full circle, a full life cycle, there's no one else that can blame except for the person looking in the mirror at the end of the day and the beginning of the day. So that was pre-COVID, if that made sense. I can answer a post-COVID if you think that's good as well. Uh, absolutely. And, and you know, I'd, I'd love to delve into a little of the team around you in a moment as well. But there's, I mean, even if you've been living under a rock or in a cave for the last uh, 12 months now, uh, the, you know, everybody knows that 2020 has been a year that we would probably all like to forget and put behind us. But uh, you know, early in the year, the, the global pandemic of COVID-19 hit us. How did that impact you personally, I guess, and your transition to work from home, I, I assume? And then the organization as a whole, and, and, and what was the impact to sort of in the day in the life of Ken Groey at that stage? Well, cool. In, in a COVID world currently, um, we still have to make the number. 
our board uh, did pivot for a second, had a COVID reduced number, and I'm pleased to say they released that restriction and put it back to the original number as pre-COVID number, which is incredible. Shows a lot of conviction on some of the customers we have out there. But no, to say uh, I use Zoom quite often uh, would be a misstatement. Um, so I was the second revenue customer of Zoom. First one, to my understanding, was Stanford. Number two was Barracuda. I was at Barracuda at the time and, and brought that in after have a quite elaborate bake-off. So I use Zoom from about 7 in the morning Pacific time till about 7 o'clock at night. Um, if I didn't do 12 one-hour Zooms throughout the day, I'd do 24 half-hour Zooms. So uh, what we spend most of our time on is helping people find out what they can do with the performance of Wacker's file system and uh, its modern file system and modern storage. And then even more, we've had some epiphanies where people have figured out that the ease of use or does the actual data mobility or what they're able to do with the workloads is really kind of cool. Um, we were talking offline a few seconds ago, but one of your friends and mine, Scott McNeely, was actually our guest today. And believe it or not, on the last day of the fiscal year, Scott McNeely joined what I call his mixtapes. For a certain age, people might remember what mixtapes were. They were the best songs all compilated into one mixtape that would you put in your car or whatever as a cassette that's out there. But we basically do as a way to kick off the week on a Monday morning. And Scott graces with our presence. And uh, as only Scott would, he showed up early, was game ready, and gave pearls of wisdom around some of the customer-centric mentality that a startup needs to hear. So that's what I've been spending my time with in COVID mode. Wow, I love that. Uh, yeah, there are so many key takeaways there, but uh, yeah, Scott is a consummate professional and just a decent all-around human. And uh, if people aren't familiar with him, then go Google him because he's well and truly worth looking into. Along with yourself and your background, let's talk about Weka.io, the company. So you know, I'm, I'm sure our listeners are familiar with the brand, they're familiar with the company as a whole, they understand what you do as far as uh, your massively parallel file system. But I wonder if you could maybe just give us a 30,000-foot view of the company as it currently stands. And we can sort of maybe delve into a little of its history and how it kind of got to here. But firstly, maybe just a quick introduction to Weka.io, the company as a, as a whole. Yeah, thanks, Des. And for those who have here in Weka for the first time, uh, Weka is actually short for Weka Byte, and that's 10 to the 30th power. So I know how technical your audience is. They'll really identify with that. And maybe they'll even compare us to Google, which also future-proofed itself by 10 to the 100th power. And I know it's not exactly a misspelling or mispronunciation of the word Google as well, but Weka is. And um, what we decided to do is there's been other entrees in a software-defined storage. You might want to say, what's different about it? We chose a go-to-market vehicle that was materially different. In fact, Des, you and I spoke about it offline. It more resembles, I used to work for Pat Gelsinger at VMware, it more resembles VMware's motion. Or if you go back 20 years, Veritas's motion, where number one, we only sell software. Number two, we only sell it as a subscription. So it's how people want to consume it. That's great. And number three, we use OPP. So not the song by Naughty by Nature that was big uh, 20 <laughs> years ago, but OPP is other people's people. Meaning in a COVID state, people might be not as apt to bring in a new vendor as they might want to, especially at the procurement level. They might want to hanker down with who they have or keep with who they have. So even though we can give 10x performance and ease of management, the benefit here is you consume our product either on AWS in the cloud, for example, or through some of the server partners you've known and loved for years, Hewlett Packard, Dell, Supermicro, Hitachi Antara, Penguin, et cetera. So you actually keep buying from who you're doing business with traditionally, and then like 20 years ago, you might have bought a computer from Intel inside, but you didn't actually buy it from Intel, but you mandated it had Intel processors because the quality implied in it. You know, we use Weka within. So people say, hey, I'll buy that new HPE DL325. I think it's a great solution or a big twin from Supermicro, but I want to have Weka within it. 
And to do that, you're going to get 10 times the performance when it comes to machine learning or AI. And that, that certainly helps us. So to tee us up a little bit, and then we kind of go after the top of the pyramid, what I would call tier zero. And people listening to me know what that is. It's the, the highest performance, the highest demanding. Literally, at the end of the day, what gives a company a competitive edge? In fact, we've enjoyed selling to nine of the Fortune 64. Later on, we'll go over why you 64 versus, say, Fortune 50 or Fortune 100. There's a story behind that. But uh, we actually allow people to get a competitive edge. And if you're moving with a competitive edge, you actually go ahead of your competitors in the same adjacent market. And if not, catch up to those who might be a little bit ahead of you in AI. Hopefully that answers your question, Devs. Indeed. And uh, you probably age us both by not only knowing who Scott McNeely is, because uh, we both probably worked with him in the past, but also <laughs> knowing the song by Naughty by Nature, who's down with OPP, <laughs> yeah, you know me. Yeah. Um, it's been an interesting journey so far. Uh, I mean, I, I wonder if we can maybe just delve a little bit into the kind of the key evolutionary steps that work has gone through. And, and I love the insight into kind of the name and the background. Um, you're, you're a very broad organization now, and, and, and in many ways kind of I like the, the humble downplaying of, of what you do, because uh, when I look at the organization, you do everything from professional service, consulting, design, implementation, build, management, maintenance, et cetera. But you sell that as a service. In many ways, you've kind of been that as a service sort of company for, for a long, long time. Uh, walk us through some of the early sort of evolutionary steps that the organization went through to get to where you are, just sort of give people a bit of background. Yeah, so the, the founders, uh, Laurent, Mayor, and Armory are still with the company. Um, they were XIV people, so descendants of Moshe. If there's a Mount Rushmore of storage, Moshe's on that Mount Rushmore. We, you and I can debate, you know, at a pub sometime who the other three are. Um, <laughs> I, we're, I think you and I are both working to someday get a chance to even vote for that. But Moshe is definitely one of those four in Mount Rushmore. Uh, disciples of those are, um, like I said before, Mayor, my boss, um, obviously Laurent, and Armory, the three founders, XIV, they really made IBM successful and they found there was a need to kind of modernize the file system in such a way to bring it from HPC, but bring it to the regular commercial environment and have the Fortune 500 used through it. It was founded um, in 2014, so we had six years with it. It takes about five years to get a fully blessed file system and a data path res resiliency uh, built into it. But that's how we're kind of going to market. And then ironically, today is Cyber Monday. So some of the use cases we've done is in the retail space, um, namely the largest retailer, I think in the world still, is one of our customers as well. But to answer your question, the, the heritage is we had to find a way that we could get this in the hands as easily as possible, but do it at go-to-market that was affordable, that had a large ROI for its customers, and an easy way to use through procurement. So we decided to go through people's for lack of a better word, Trojan horses of the server partners so they could actually consume it for us. I think that is kind of getting the root of what you were asking on that one, Des. Yeah, definitely. You know, and, and some of us have been uh, around for long enough to sort of remember the days before file systems or even sort of high-performance environments. I remember working on the likes of, you know, the PIC database environment that became the PIC file system and then PIC operating system. Uh, I think it was, uh, was it Richard Pick who developed it? And, and sort of got to the point where, you know, as you said, companies like IBM realized that you couldn't just stick data on a disk and, and pray and hope it worked. You had to put it in a different layout and a format and blocks and, and cylinders and, and, and read sequences and, and write the data in such a way that as the read-write head moved in and out in a cylindrical fashion that you could get to the relevant blocks quickly. And, you know, here we are now where we're sort of talking about web-scale file systems and you know, the younger generations come along and they've had the likes of, you know, obviously the Weka file system from yourselves and then open source environments like Ceph and HDFS. 
And they're not really that wild by having hundreds of terabytes, if not half a petabyte of data, because it's just something they've, they've grown up with. Very much like my young teenage kids are sort of, you know, they've always got access to the internet and, and, and uh, their phones are in their hands all the time. And, uh, you know, internet's kind of like oxygen. It should be everywhere and free. Uh, but there was a time when file systems were quite literally rocket science. And you guys have been there through that whole journey. And it's been interesting to watch that evolution to the point now where, as you said, you've got an as-a-service offering from one end of the organization to the other, from engineering through to you know business and, and AI and data services, um, that actually now not just makes it possible, but actually makes it possible at scale and, and very cost effective with high performance. There's been a great deal of attention on a lot of these uh, emerging high growth markets around the likes of machine learning, artificial intelligence, and certainly big data and data science and life sciences and analytics and, and the whole data-driven decision-making pivot that organizations are undergoing. I wonder if you can maybe give us a little insight to kind of where the whole Wecker IO uh, uh, story fits into that journey and, and where you see yourselves sort of fitting into that going forward. Well, the aha moment for me, Des, is this, um, and I, I've interviewed countless numbers of, I guess you call them data scientists. We'll talk about an emerging role later, but I want to give that away too quickly. But countless number of life sciences, data scientists, uh, whether it be at UCLA or some other leading universities. And that's where kind of the heritage is with Weka. We actually bumped into a few people who had temporary tattoos on the side of their arms around HPC. We have quite a, uh, I guess you'd call it a cult following in that market. But what we found out is we can actually get a little bit better ROI from some of the AI projects that are out there. And here's the reason why. When you get a fund or you get an, an initiative, and let's say it's a million dollars, and we'll talk a little bit more tactical, and some of your listeners will really like this. You know, some people have ran out and bought a cluster of GPUs and already said, that's the way to go. You know, we're not really looked at the data in mind, the modeling in mind, forgetting about the network demands and forgetting about the parallel file system demands. I, I kind of look at this as kind of like a, a equilateral triangle. Back to me, my geometry days back in high school. But my point being is you kind of have all three sides of the triangle have to be equal. And why I find that important is you can have the world's best horsepower in the taste of, you know, a clustered GPU. But if you don't have the network to pull it through, then you're going to be have some latency inherent in the system. And then the other analogy I would draw out is on the parallel file system, which WEC is capitalizing on. I want to make sure in the aha moment for a lot of listeners listening to me now should be like, now I get why I need a parallel file system. Imagine if I had 200 scientists, instead of doing raw data experiments and sharing a cryo-EM microscope, you know, I'll use a quick analogy. Imagine collaborating on a document, a simple document. Would you want to be in charge of a document with 200 individuals today in 2020 if you're using Microsoft Word? I mean, no offense to Word, it's great. But you know how many overwrites would happen across 200 people's individuals' opinions? Everyone would be going over on top of everybody. It would be, it would be unmaintainable. So you have to switch to Google Docs. You know, bad analogy, but probably applicable. Just because you have the most horsepower to use a cryo you know, microscope for 200 scientists, just because you have a fast network, you've got to allocate the uh, apportionment and the funding to have a parallel file system because you want everyone to be able to use it every single day. You don't want to have latency where you're like, hey, we have this powerful microscope, but you can use it for 15 minutes a week. Well, what are you going to do the other 39 hours per week? I mean, you'll keep yourself busy, but how much better would it be if you could literally be using all the benefits of a parallel file system so you had 40 hours a week? And I know most people listen to me say 40 hours a week, some joke, we all work 60, and some people probably work north of that, probably from the love of the, of the material. But my point being is what a parallel file system delivers, specifically Weka is a way that everyone can enjoy the benefits of AI all the time. So there's no latency in the system. So if you have a fast engine in the case of a GPU or fast transport in the case of a network, the parallel file system makes the 
perfect equilibrium triangle hum together and get a higher ROI. Mm, I like that. Indeed, it's uh, it's one of these things we run into on a regular basis in the form of a brick wall of performance or a brick wall of cost or a brick wall of time. These are sort of the things that I regularly come across. And there's a funny anecdote where I won't name them because it'll embarrass them, but I have a, I have a bank uh, somewhere in the world with over 220 data scientists on their team now. And the head of the department came to me and said to me recently, we just can't get our jobs run on time. They're just they're running slow. They're painful. The performance is not there. We've got the best hardware, yada, yada. took about six minutes when I said, lay out what you've got. And they mentioned they were running entire Hadoop environment inside virtual machines. I was like, whoa, 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 hang on a second. <laughs> You're running this cluster in virtual machines? You're kidding me? And it turned out that the original design that someone built on a couple of VMs on a laptop got scaled out on a contractor in a third party. And they're like, yep, yeah, we'll just build what you want. And they had hundreds and hundreds of nodes in very large VMs in a public cloud environment and couldn't work out where all the I.O. was going. So well, I, can, I can tell you where that's going. Uh, and we managed to put a small cluster of a couple of racks of infrastructure in place that beat it hands down uh, because we just got down to the detail, as you said, of, of a decent network, good switch fabric, and underpinning it, a fantastic file system. Um, and, uh, and I'm sure we need to make sure it's going to be the Wecker FS going forward. When we think about all the things you just spoke about, it, it strikes me that this whole role that high-performance scale-out storage plays in the likes of data analytics and AI, you mentioned something really critical I wanted to come back to, and it's something that actually, it's a line you used a while ago when we spoke some time ago on the phone, and, and I actually wrote it down. You said something to the effect that a modern parallel file system is essential to get an ROI out of any AI initiative. I was like, damn, that needs to go on a T-shirt somewhere. <laughs> but I wrote it down with a view that I would love to kind of get you to expand on that. And, and particularly based on your experience there at Wecker, why data storage in particular and the performance around those file systems that data storage is supported by is so critical to the likes of AI performance and getting that ROI, as you said, from AI initiatives? Well, you kind of talked about before, but I, I think it is essential at the very beginning. So the modern data storage is certainly from the very beginning. One of the questions you had asked offline before is, you know, how, how easily can you start on this? We actually have some customers in a not-for-profit environment, I think it was out of Oklahoma, that started for less than $50,000. So this is not this multi-million dollar project initiative. So you can start as low as $50,000, all the way up. Our largest uh, customer is well over 70 petabytes. We'll talk about them in a few minutes. It has a lot to do with COVID resiliency. But... At the, if you design with the end in mind, at the end of the day, you wouldn't do an AI initiative if there wasn't an ROI, because if not, you're risking the executive sponsorship. I mean, someone's going to bat giving you a bag of money to get a bigger bag of money and returns back. Sometimes that bag of money is a higher quality or a better experience of the brand. Many times it's a bag of money and just pure profits over what you have out there, whether it be through pharmaceutical or through it autonomous driving. So specifically with us, we believe Weka is allowed you to manage and harness all the benefits of an HPC modern AI initiative for storage, but you could start as low as you want and go as large as you want. And a lot of some of our largest initiatives are above 70 petabytes. Some of the ones that we cannot talk about are the exabyte size. But I think that's crystallized for some of the listeners that they wanted to hear about. You can start small and grow big with the uh, granularity of Weka, and we're for all types of sizes, all scales. Yeah, when you start talking about exabytes, it's, uh, it's, it's a heady space that very few can even comprehend, let alone uh, deploy and build. And the fact that you, you talk about it, uh, it, it as, a, as a fairly regular thing is pretty impressive. Mm. I, I recently saw you using hashtag, we solve big problems. I thought it was pretty cool. And I wrote that down as well. And, and you know, there's no doubt that Weka.io is known for solving big problems, really big problems. 
I wonder if you can give us a couple of examples of some of the big challenges you've worked on with customers recently. And obviously you can't go into details of who they are often. And and I'm sure with the global pandemic, uh, there's been a whole range of, of uh, challenges you've taken on with your customers around that. Um, I wonder if you could share some examples of some of those, you know, we solve big problems, hashtag related things you've been working on late of late that speak to some of the key things around how to get value out of data and, and get high performance file systems helping drive the value uh, uh, realization out of the data. Well, great. I'll answer that in three different segments. One, we'll be talking about specifically about the vaccine as much as I can. One about COVID resiliency, which is almost as important as the vaccine, not quite as important as I'm sure the vaccine is the most important, but I'll go over resiliency and I'll give some applicable cases, even in my own family. And number three, I'll talk about supply chain. Because not to be naive, that does affect everything. Um, anybody who's tried to buy anything recently or supply anything it certainly had some issues. So to answer the first question, on vaccine, yes, I, I, I've signed and our company has signed certain um, NDAs. But I think, you know, at least in the United States, um, over, over overseas, there's one. And in the States, there's three vaccines are coming out. Two have name recognition. Um, I'd rather not tie our company name to that, but we supply to both those companies that are public today. One actually did it in, with us in AWS in the cloud, and one actually did it on-premises. Not to judge, um, it was just different use cases for each. And when you learn more about the vaccine, you know about transport cost and the temperature of transport cost and uh, availability, et cetera. But um, there was nothing more we can talk about on time to market, on getting a cure to COVID in everyone's hands, or at least a vaccine to COVID. I shouldn't have said cure, I apologize, but vaccine in everyone's hands. So that's as much as I can say but I could say each of them were about a 10 petabyte solution. And we were the proud owner of each of those, both internationally and domestically. Um, on ones that I can talk about specifically is Genomics England, and I think we'll talk about this in a little bit, is the largest COVID resiliency data farm. And I'd call it a data lake, but I'd call it a data farm because it's, it's, it should be called a data you know, globe for, for lack, of it, lack of better words. But it's 70 petabytes. Um, the background before it was that it was 28 petabytes of conventional storage. My former company was EMC. It's now part of Dell. They did use that product in the past. And unfortunately, they had around 10 storage managers managing that. They moved up to 70 petabytes with us. And this is a public reference for us. Moved those 10 storage managers down to a half and used nine and a half of those critical employees for more proactive activities. And then last part, I, I promised talking about supply chain. We're the proud uh, first mover advantage for people doing autonomous vehicles. I can't say the name of the company, uh, but they sell a lot of those vehicles. They're you know, based out here in the uh, western part of the United States. Uh, we also supply to a first mover in autonomous trucking. You can think about autonomous trucking. That certainly solves some of this uh, supply chain. I know you're overseas right now, obviously, um, in Australia, New Zealand, in that area, uh, Des. But in the United States, just this east-west traffic, traffic of, of trucking and we supply to Too Simple, one of the vehicles that actually has autonomous vehicles, so you don't actually have staffing to actually get the supply chain in, in command. And then there's a large flight company. Uh, there's two large ones. One of them is based overseas in Europe. We supply to that company that does autonomous flights. So in reverse order, taking care of the supply chain as best we can with first mover advantage, taking care of COVID resiliency, and that matters because I'm 53 years old. If I get COVID and I don't have COVID, but how I react to it is different for everybody, and going through, and that 70 petabytes was needed to figure out why, what attributes and what um, enzymes in my body, what attributes would I have in my body? So I could, do I have a fever for three weeks or do I have it for four hours or do I face critical points to almost, I'd be in a respirator and need a lung transportation uh, replacement, excuse me, um, and transportation to the hospital, I actually have part of that. So going COVID resiliency and then all the way back to the COVID actually vaccine, 
it's breathtaking to be involved with all three of these ones. And thank you for noting it. We do post, we solve big problems. And I realize that's not your traditional hashtag for the IT business, but we, we take it pretty seriously here at Weka. Uh, absolutely. You know, I, I, um, I'll be clear and say that I follow you to the point where it could be potentially considered stalking, but in a good way. It, it's interesting you note the, the couple of the use cases there around supply chain indirectly in some ways with regard to like autonomous things, because I think a lot of people haven't realized just how advanced we are in this space, particularly with COVID-19. A lot of organizations have been using last mile on-wheel drone delivery. We often think about drones as the little quadcopters that we see YouTube is using to shoot you know, groovy pictures on beaches and whatnot with sunset but sunset images. But a lot of, uh, of drone usage is these last mile little things that you put something in and it drives up to your front door and you pick it up out of it. And autonomous vehicles. And I remember when, um, uh, you know, we're talking about some of this, this large data and some of the supply chain. I remember when Boeing bought out their 787 Dreamliner. And I, I absolutely fell in love with this airplane uh, because of all the design aspects, particularly the wings, because they can bend up to about 25, 26 degrees at the tip and, and flap like a bird. But I remember looking and thinking, there's like four in the design, right? There's like 4,000 sensors per aircraft across the wings and in the body. And they reported it produced something like, I think it was like 500 gigs of data per flight from all of those sensors. And it was being stored in the airplane because in the front of the plane, there's probably about three full racks of infrastructure. Um, and I did the math and I was like, hang on, just in the domestic airspace in the US alone, there's about 87,400 domestic flights per day. So mm-hmm. I did the math and I was like, hang on, 87,400 flights. If every airplane eventually... Uh, according to the FAA regulations, has to collect that type of data for maintenance and security and monitoring, whatever else. Um, That becomes something like 43 and a half petabytes of data a day. Now, you know, just collecting that and getting off these uh, big USB sticks called uh, a Dreamliner 787s and then getting into a network somewhere and getting to a file system was such a heady challenge. I I sat down years ago and wrote this article and published it out and it went viral because people were like, what? Hang on. Where are we going to store this? And uh, at the time, you know, I kind of wish I, <laughs> I tagged Wecker and brought you into the conversation because a lot of people don't understand that in supply chain and all the infrastructure around it, everything moves, everything generates data, everything collects data. And without that data, we're not going to get insights into when is, whether it's a vaccine delivered on time, is it delivered at minus 70 degrees to keep it healthy, uh, or is it uh, somebody just ordering, you know, an Uber Eats or something to that effect? And it all generates data and all has to be stored and all has to be analyzed. And, you know, even something as simple as a regular search engine query are all personalized to you and what you've done and what they know about you with permission and tailored to your experience. And I think this has become more and more critical as we go forward when people want that celebrity customer experience more and more. You touched on a couple of things that I wanted to circle back on there. Um, You talked about a couple of topics around the whole challenge between technical, technical performance and operational and cost performance. There's often a direct correlation between high performance and high cost, uh, necessarily often. Um, But recent success stories such as your Genomics England story where they've gone from, as you said, from like 28 petabytes in a regular file system to 70 petabytes with a Weka solution. Um, I mean, they reported, I I think they improved their genomic pipeline performance like, was it 10 times, I think I remember reading, while reducing the storage cost by as much as 75%, I think I remember reading on your website, without giving any IP away. I wonder uh, if you could sort of talk about how Wecker approached such a challenge and and how you drove that sort of, you know, astounding, positively astounding performance gain while, um, I guess, you know, getting the cost down at at what seemed like quite mind-boggling cost reductions. Well, thank you. I, being a longtime podcast listener of yours, I love the metrics, but they tend to galvanize in my head. So thanks for remembering those. Yeah, with 28 petabytes up to 70 and 
10 storage administrators down to a half. So huge. How we do that is just pure ease of use. So we're blessed in that we don't make object store, but we just make object store more easy to manage. And going through one single global namespace is our advantage. So I mean, we're not breaking an IP at all. It's basically people set up hot tiers and cold tiers, nothing really special there. Specifically at Genomics England, it's roughly seven petabytes of a hot tier. No surprise, that's all NVMe. So as, as you uh, look through the advents of Flash, that's huge. That's where they get all their recency and all their benefits from and where you want you know, things like resiliency and COVID resiliency being worked on. And then you set up an object tier because you want your recently used, because no one ever throws away data. Where are you going to put it? So whether you put it to the cloud or whatever, in the case of Genomics England, they use quantum. You have 63 petabytes of object store in what we would call a cold phase. What's the blessing, Des, is the reason we're able to take it from 10 storage managers down to a half of one is you have the same global namespace, same file system all the way through. So you stay in the same Weka FS as you go from the hot tier to the cold tier, and they actually spin it off, and they're great customers of AWS, and they spin off one of those versions off for backup and restore capability down long off to AWS. That's huge. Put it to stateside, here in the United States, in the eastern part of the country, we have a certain pharmaceutical customer that uh, works with us, and specifically their output are for cystic fibrosis and for Alzheimer's. So it's not just about COVID. Those listening to me today hopefully understand COVID's front and center, but there's other illnesses that we need to take care of, especially Alzheimer's as we have an aging demographic. Specifically, they have a situation where they put um, two petabytes hot on NVMe, obviously, 20 petabytes cold, and it's outlined by one of our recent uh, papers that was done by ESG, and they choose for the object store, you mentioned already, uh, Des is Ceph. So they use, you know, um, Ceph as far as their object store, the uh, benefit there in the scholastic environment, that certainly helps. You can probably tell that they have a lot of people that used to work at universities in, in the academic environment. So they leverage the Ceph environment, and then they put another copy up into the cloud, in this case, AWS. So my point being is the benefit there without revealing any IP is if you have one global namespace and you have a robust enough file system, in the case of WECFS to do it, you can move from hot to cold, up to the cloud, object store and back. And then when you go through acquisitions, and I think coming out of COVID, you might see a little more consolidation than you might have seen in the past as the capital markets tend to rebound a little bit. You might see acquisitions. And with acquisitions, how cool would it to be if you're in charge of a full due diligence to say, oh, all our information on the cloud, please tell us your IP addresses for the restore. We can do it that way versus the traditional ways we've all lived and had many a nights uh, of anguish before doing it in different ways. But operationally, we have some huge advantage there that I think people take advantage with WECFS. I was uh, wishing I had Weka FS in place over the weekend. It took me 14 hours to move just one email box from an on-premises mail server helping a friend out who was unwell and couldn't uh, do the project and had to get the thing live on Monday to move it into a cloud-based platform. And I was cursing it. <laughs> it was just oh. the most painful process. Genomics England's an amazing story, and, and thanks for some of the insights into that. One of the things I, I'm sure my audience would love to know, we've talked a lot about the technology aspect. I wonder if we can just quickly pivot back on, on the Genomics England story on the business journey and the relationship. Walk us through the process from when they approached you, when, when someone from Genomics England came to you and said, we have a data problem. We've got lots of it. We've got very complex and diverse data sets. We want to, as you said, we want to have it in different performance tiers. We want to have a different pricing tiers. We may want to use some open source stuff. We may want to use commercial stuff. 
Walk us through that journey from from the initial conversations and what they're like, whether it's Genomics England or others, and where you sort of start that conversation to, here's what Weka does, here's where we can fit, here's where we can help you. And the key evolutionary stages to get to the point where they are a Genomics England with 70 petabytes under management with your support. There must be some natural key steps they go through from uh, looking at the business problem to the business benefits and then design, trials, testing, implementation, and, and then scale out. Great question. Yes, you're right, Des. They didn't wake up and start at 70 petabytes. No way could they ever do that. And then in full disclosure, they built this before COVID was even even on the horizon. But they built it for things like coming down the pike, which would be COVID. What a blessing for them. So I can't comment on the funding of it. That is uh, Genomic England's um, business there. But I will comment on what we were able to meet with them. We met with them in Supercompute uh, 2018. It was before my time at Weka, but the founder, obviously, uh, Laron was there. Uh, Barbara Murphy from her VP of Marketing was there, and they met with uh, Genomics England at that time. They wanted to know what was possible. What if you needed to scale above 28 petabytes? They were enjoying this particular, particular product, uh, Isilon, which is a acquisition through EMC, and they were using it, and they enjoyed the product. They had no issues with the product. In fact, they were a great reference. In fact, I think they were the largest installation of Isilon across all of Europe um, to show them to show them what was possible. We first did a demo um, with the product using modeling of a subset of their data. And this will be no different than someone who could deal with us literally tomorrow. Um, we actually gave a demo of the product on AWS. It just was a little bit easier and geo, uh, uh, geo arranging of the, some of the people who wanted to go through it. So the data scientists were around 10 to 12 people at that time. We had a champion, uh, David Arley, who put them all together and in, in to uh, show them what was possible. The demo was actually done in AWS. But for a myriad of different reasons, they decided to, how do we go with our infrastructure? How do we deal with our investment and leverage that? We just don't want to go directly to the cloud. We want to have you know, some of our talents on site, some of our benefit here. We want to control our own destiny. So we had to leverage what was, what was done. So specifically, Des, it took them three purchases over two and a half years. So purchases, installations, from our first purchase, which was south of one petabyte hot, um, we put it in front of the Isolons. And that took, uh, I think it was a period of around eight, eight to nine months for the again, not just to, to just get used to it, get better yield, better ROI, installation tool was immediate, it was on premises, but we sized it at one petabyte hot in front of it. And then we leveraged all the way up to three petabytes and eventually seven. So it was three stages of deployment to get up to 70 petabytes. They did do, after they did the demo on AWS, we did ship them some super micro kit for a POC that was at our cost to show them what's possible. So even though they liked what they saw with AWS, they wanted to do a POC with their own eyes. That got us the business group to buy in. Um, that helped us uh, substantiate and justify the first purchase. The second purchase took care of its own because people started realizing, like we mentioned in the last segment, if you could put it in to solve your big problems on the hot tier, wait a minute, you can actually manage and supervise and have all the benefits because it's self-tuning and auto-tuning. It's a single namespace. You have all the advantages of staying up to the cold tier. Um, they did buy Quantum after our second phase. And the third phase was just pure growth of additional storage on the hot tier and the cold tier. So it took us over a period of about two and a half years from the very first meeting at Supercompute 2018 it would involve the POC with some on-site gear that was ours. We've, of course, reclaimed it since then. Uh, we had bought the Supermicro Big Twin and loaned it to them and then obviously taken it back. We gave a demonstration at AWS. 
but uh, they moved it all the way up. And now they're looking at, you know, adding in NVIDIA GPUs, for example. So it's, it's been a powerful story and uh, a lot of great partnerships along the way, namely Quantum, part of our ecosystem, and namely AWS, which the product's available on, but they just chose to deploy it actually on-premises and move out to AWS as a way to do uh, uh, recoveries. Yeah, I think this is a reoccurring theme now, and that is that, you know, we, we see organizations go from all or nothing with, you know, all on-premises and all that to a third-party data source and then all that to the cloud, and then they sort of migrate back to what makes the most sense. And in some cases, they've got an application that may not be designed for cloud initially, they put it there, and then they have a death of a thousand cuts, or they, they want to remove the capex element and then and you know cloud makes the most sense if they can refactor the code or, or the platform is that way and, and there are many SaaS and pass based solutions that work for that and i i know your solution has been engineered and designed for that at scale so that, that all those issues are dealt with when i think about some of those key steps you're talking about and you do get to the rare air of or rarefied air of sort of the the, the peak of the everest scar uh, sized uh, organizations that genomics england are as a customer at the other end of the spectrum, though, I imagine, you know, I mean, we've heard you talk previously about how organizations can start small with the likes of AI and, and, and other data and analytics uh, focused initiatives. Um, you talked about how people can sort of, you know, start with Wecker and, and, and start small and then sort of scale up to hundreds of petabytes and beyond uh, because Wecker makes managing the whole data storage uh, challenge and, and storage demands of big data and AI initiatives easier. Realistically, just how small can organizations start out with Wecker? Uh, and, and, and what's that sort of journey like as they go from sort of an, an early trial or test or small scale environment to, to deploying out? May, let's maybe start with just how, what's realistically sensible and, and, and commercially viable as far as the scale goes. How small should I be able to start with Wecker and, and be able to scale out naturally? Well, that's a great question. We recently took the minimum nodes down at one point and uh, in the history it was eight nodes was a minimum. That's recently down, we moved down to five, just showing the great power of our engineering staff. As I mentioned before, Mayor is our chief scientist and uh, one of our founders. So we're down to five nodes as a minimum. That's roughly 50 terabytes. So you can start as little as 50 terabytes, which you know, decade ago seems like huge amounts of big data. By today's standard, not that huge. So 50 terabytes, um, we do have, like I mentioned before, not just Oklahoma, which is a non-for-profit, but many non-for-profits have started for less than $50,000. And that provided for multiple years of use of our product and provided for the actual NVMe devices to actually store the information. So that included the storage as well. Now, separate than that, you might have to have a GPU or a really fast processor. And obviously, you want to have a resilient network. We're not talking, you know. Uh, 10 gigabyte, we, we think 100 gigabyte is probably where you need to be, or at least in the process towards it. And we have some of our sites obviously running InfiniBand and obviously moving up to, I'm hearing about 400 gigabyte networks and 200 gigabyte networks are reality all the time. But the lowest we can probably see is 50 terabytes, uh, lowest initial cost around $50,000. And of course, we can do that on a month to month uh, basis as well. And um, we have some people actually trying us every day on AWS. In fact, if you go to Weka.io today, you can actually spin up your own AWS instance and try your own. In fact, on one of the calls last week, a CTO of one of our partners said, goes, Kenny, this is crazy. This took us four clicks and we're running a small amount of instance on AWS right now inside of our buckets, which is pretty cool. So, and we do make availability of POCs. We do understand that it takes a while to justify and to get all, especially in COVID times, people are used to coming to one big meeting room well, how do you do that in Zoom times? Um, so it's going to take a while to corral all the cats, to use the phrase. So if you do need a POC, we do provide those to customers through some of our partners, either Hewlett Packard or Supermicro or Dell or Penguin, uh, to name just, or Atachi Ventura, to name a few of them. But 
Um, the largest ones do go up to multiple exabytes, the ones we could not talk about, uh, probably in the government sector and the confidential sector. Uh, some of the larger ones we do talk about are between the 40 to 70 petabyte environments in the financial space and the pharmaceutical space. But I, hopefully that shows, in, shows a clear lack of intimidation. 50 terabytes, five nodes, $50,000 can typically get you going and you can build, uh, build dividends right away. And I think, Des, you said before, if you're not building an AI initiative to beat the competition, you're losing to someone who already has it in place. Indeed. It's very much along those lines that uh, I often like to say that this conversation is happening whether you join it or not. And um, as you just indicated, that if, if you're not already running an AI initiative of some form to, to derive value from your data, then somebody else is and they're going to beat you to the game. And often organizations don't recover when they're beaten to that scale. I, I'm super impressed that you can get down to 50 terabytes. I mean, as you said, you know, there was once upon a time, I think there's a great meme that goes around of a of a forklift lifting this massive cabinet into the side of an airplane. It's a five megabyte file system from IBM. But 50 terabytes these days is kind of, you know, uh, I'm sure one day it'll be a USB stick. But um, it's, it's a normal size data set for the types of things we're talking about around data science, life sciences, where people just told, here's 50 terabytes find out what's in it, normalize it, clean it up, archive the original, make some of it available across the team, and then make it available for multiple uses, right? Whether it's, um, you know, everything from human resource looking at the data set saying, well, how many staff do you need to even do some analysis on that through to operational people saying, well, how do we actually make this data then add value to our day-to-day operational piece to our customer's journey or our customer's lives? And then at the end of it, it's like, well, how do we now see value out of that and report against it and, and put some dollars against it as, as, as an asset? Um, and I can imagine that standing up 50 terabytes and, and multiple instances of those is one of those things where organizations are going to find themselves faced with very, very quickly because, you know, we're just data is coming at us from every angle. I do like your invitation to people to go to your website and, and try this out immediately. I think one of the biggest challenges with some of these technologies is getting hands on, becoming familiar with it, and then be able to authoritatively speak about it with you at that point saying, oh, we, we did go to the website, we did spin it up, we tried it out, we've done some comparative analysis with what we've already run internally, and we're blown away, what do we do next? If someone does come to you and says, hey, look, we've got 50 to 100 terabytes of data, we've tried it out, um, at what point do you join that journey with them? I imagine it's as soon as possible or as early as possible, but what's the natural point where Wecker's team joins an organization's conversation from, I guess, the business discussion and the business case and the cost model all the way down to trials and implementations to bring all that experience you have in your engineering experience, your business experience, your consulting and professional services experience to say, here's where we've seen this work before. Here are some of the pitfalls. Here's what to avoid. Here's maybe a business case and a case study and a cost model we've used in a previous example like this. Where do you kind of join that conversation? How soon do you ideally join that conversation to, to get projects to the point where they are performing and showing business benefit back to the organizations, even if it's, if it's at 50 terabytes to start with? Yeah, Des, great question. Literally from uh, click one. So if you do find WACA.io, and I realize we're not a household name yet, um, hopefully within the next two, three years after we IPO, we will be. But um, you know, when they engage with us and you can, you can download it, your instance off AWS right away, um, I would suggest, in fact, it's, it's a heavy suggestion on our website today, please let us know one of our solution engineers. So with me running the go-to-market as the president and uh, CRO, I'm able to decide where to put people in. And actually, 80% of our people are not what I would call salespeople. They're solution engineers or customer success people. So people really deep down, very familiar with dealing with data scientists or a new role we'll talk about in just a few seconds, the CDO. But 80% of, the, of my resources are spent on those one things, making things happen, showing what's possible. So 
If you're intimidated, the very first click will do it. There's no charge for that, obviously. That's what our job is, to get the highest net promoter score, the highest success to fulfill, to have customer successes and case studies we can share with other other people. Or if you choose to keep them private, respect those wishes as well. As you probably can tell, there's a couple of people involved with the vaccine and autonomous vehicles I could not say the proper name of, but we enjoy working with them very, very much so, but we respect their privacy and confidentiality. But to answer your question specifically, we will deal with the very first click. If you're intimidating, adding your own AWS instance will help you through it. If you need a little bit of help on you know, getting ready for, hey, please send, I, I, I heard the president talking about, they'll send me a, a POC, a proof of concept. Absolutely. You know, we can get that ready. Our solution engineers will help you on site and, you know, in a COVID protected way, get something on your premises you can do in your own environment or work with a sample of your data. We, every one of our environments, we do a test plan and we collaborate with everybody. But like you said, there's certain best practices. There's some adages. We've done this literally thousands and thousands of times on across hundreds and hundreds of customers. I mentioned, you know, nine of the top 64 already run us for AI initiatives. So some of the biggest sites in the world, in fact, ESG claims that uh, nine of the nine largest uh, uh, big data environments, WECA is on eight of those nine, and the one that they didn't get confirmation was one that wouldn't reveal what they use. So uh, we're still at the top of the IO 500. But my point being is we'll work with you when we've staffed appropriately. We are not a company that can take you out for a, uh, a turkey melt uh, or a lobster <laughs> dinner um, in every little city in the country because that would be a very expensive go-to-market. But if you don't mind working remotely with us, we will put people literally on a Zoom call with you right away that will be an extension of your team that will help you build out the POC criteria, build the justification, help you build the models that make you successful because we don't want any unsuccessful missions. We just want successful AI missions that help you be more competitive um, in a very competitive market as people come out of COVID and, and things get loosened up a little bit. But great tee up question, Des. Thank you. No, absolutely. And, and, and I think all of our audience are probably uh, very tech savvy and uh uh, we were already doing work from home predominantly and uh, very used to SSHing into environments remotely to work via command line. So Zoom and whatnot was very native to us. And uh, as much as socializing in person uh, for a catch up and a bite to eat and a beverage was fun, uh, we were already doing remote calls and group calls around the world to get the best of the best. Uh, a lot of organizations are very picky about who they talk to. I imagine it's the case that um, you really aren't that concerned about the type of organization and particularly the industry. Uh, or even the data type, it's more so the problem they're trying to solve and, and you're welcoming those conversations for people to bring the, the weirdest, curliest problems to you when they've got a simple problem of data management, data storage and performance. That, that's fair. We do we tend to galvanize around a couple of use cases a little bit easier. Pharmaceuticals, life sciences are a no-brainer for us. Obviously, financials, especially around hedge trading, uh, quant trading, and um, we do a great job in examining and finding out the experience of false positives for fraud detection. So financials are a good work for us. And then, you know, NVIDIA is an investor in us. And we just uh, went public uh, actually this morning that our RA reference architecture for the A100, the flagship line for NVIDIA, um, who's um, a great, we're a customer of them. They're a customer of us. They're a great partner. And, uh, you know, we have a reference architecture for the A100. Basically, we do a great job of either creating a need for a GPU or getting a better utilization out of a GPU or following a GPU. So we tend to work hand in hand with GPU business. And like I said before, healthcare business, life sciences business, genomics business, uh, pharmaceutical, and then, of course, uh, financial. 
I love it. Uh, it's it's funny that you mentioned GPUs. You know, once, once upon a time, it was sort of one of those things where you know graphics processing unit was kind of all we did with it and draw fast graphics in the screen. Uh, these days, I, I struggle to come across anyone that ever worries about getting graphics performance out of a GPU or all trying to get some numbers pumped through it to get a fast pipeline for calculations. Uh, I'm sure they wish they knew that when they invented them. Well, you've given us a great walkthrough, uh, everything from Weka, the company, the Weka file system, and, and I guess the journey so far for Weka as a brand and organization and a group of amazing people. You've given us some great insight to the whole role that high-performance scale-out storage plays in data analytics and AI in relevant market spaces and segments. Uh, we've gone quite deep and wide on, on the whole challenge of technical performance versus operational cost performance. I wonder if we could wrap up with one last question for you. Uh, I mean, there's, there's been little doubt that data is the new oil, as we say, um, and I've probably just gotten a bingo point for, for one of those catchphrases. But to me, it seems like organizations are still struggling to adjust to treating data as a new mission-critical business asset, to place value on it, to get it on their balance sheet, uh, put some KPIs on it, manage it, and more importantly, derive real business value from it. I wonder if you can give us some insights as a closing uh, a response to the types of enterprise personas and, and supporting role or roles that you see bringing the most and, and, and more critical value in the immediate future to organizations to address this whole challenge around deriving value from data and, and, and the whole data analytics and AI space. What are some of those roles and, and what do they look like and where do they fit into the organization, do you think? Well, Des, thank you for that final question. Yeah, so uh, with being president, I get to run the marketing side, the sales side, own the number, and the customer satisfaction side. The best part of the marketing side for us is figuring out the persona and actually creating the demand for the product and finding the people. And, and your, yours is certainly a way to amplify to get it out there. I hearken back you know, 20 years ago, Mark Benioff, when he was an executive at Oracle, I think he was the best salesperson in Oracle history. You know, Right before when he took some time off from Oracle, was swimming with the dolphins, and you and I talked about this offline. He basically figured out for the cloud to be the cloud it needed to be, you needed a killer app, and you need to really invest in a certain persona. Well, that persona was what we called a CRM admin. And a CRM admin, the day Benioff launched Salesforce, probably was sat by the bathrooms or the back office of the environment and wasn't paid that much. Now a CRM admin, and I know this would be a fact, as the president of the company, the CRM admin is who I spend most of my time with right before a board meeting, and most of my slides are the board slides that I use. And in fact, the whole board uses. So Mark Benioff was able to create a avenue and a growth path and a career path of a CRM admin to be a trailblazer. What a great way of investing in persona. I am no way Mark bidding off anywhere near that, but I'd like to replicate what he did. I think the role that'll help big data be crystallized and get the ROI we all need to talk about is the CDO, chief data officer. Specifically, if there's chief data officers, they're already usually already buying Weka or on the horizon to buy Weka and implement in their environment with a preferred server partner that they use. Typically they come from academia, but in all cases they do a competitive edge and they take care of a very priceless um, you know, triage that's going on today. It's between IT with rigors and rules and policies and time and uh, standards and data scientists who are all living in the what's possible. Well, we need to take the what's possible and put in the plausible into the rigor of IT. If you merge those two environments, the chief data officer, I would think, if you're a young person coming out of college or university right now, think about investing in that type of role, working for the next CDO. That will be a multi-decade um, generational wealth forming role. And in fact, some of my best friends are chief data officers today. If you think about it, one final stat, 
it came up during the interview I had with Kathy Island a few a uh, few weeks ago. Um, it came up during a report from Forbes and came out from our friends at Forrester. Believe it or not, between 68 and 70 percent of today's corporate data goes unused within 12 months. That's a complete shame. So you said data is the new oil. I like this other phrase. Data is the new source code. So if data is the new source code and 68 to 70 percent of the data is either by Forbes, according to Forbes, Forrester and Kathy Ireland, good friend of mine, we had a great interview a few months back during the middle of COVID. If 68 to 70 percent of the information that a customer has to harness is going unused, you're crazy if you're not initiating an AI project uh, initiative right now. We can start as low as we said before, 50 terabytes, move it up to multi-petabytes. It's the same global namespace, same file system with Weka all the way through. And I think that certainly helps it and helps us solve big problems. But thank you. I think the chief data officer is the way of the future and the wave of the future. And it helps people get data as a new source code. Oh, it's a fantastic takeaway. So much so that I, you know, for our listeners, I, I've said this behind boardroom doors. I'll say it out front now. Uh, if you haven't got the likes of your chief data officer, chief digital officer, your CISO, right alongside the CTO and CIO in the boardroom, you are literally flying blind. There are a couple of key takeaways I just want to highlight for our, our audience here. And I've been taking a, a quite uh, rigorous notes as you've been talking and giving us these great pearls. Uh, it seems to me that at the end of the day, Weka enables successful AI and big data outcomes. I think that's the key thing I want our listeners to take away more than anything. And at the end of the day, from what you're telling us, uh, you know, the, the, the whole combination of, of driving successful outcomes for AI projects, you're going to have to combine the challenge of compute acceleration technology like GPUs, integration of a modern parallel file system like Weka FS, and the high-speed networking that you've spoken about a couple of times there, uh, I, I think overall, my takeaway is that Weka's enterprise-ready and hybrid cloud features uh, transcends AI and big data uh, use cases and enables a whole range of things across backup, disaster recovery, business continuity, IT agility. Uh, from everything you told us, it lowers CapEx, um, give us a higher performance. You mentioned a couple of times there, uh, it also allows us to reduce the number of headcount that are required to run this very large infrastructure I think at the end of the day, I'd paraphrase it by saying that Weka seems to me to be a pathway to high-performance computing and public cloud success stories for all things AI and, and, and data-related. And Ken, it's been an amazing hour having a conversation with you. I'm absolutely fascinated by, by you personally as Ken Growey, your role as President Chief Revenue Officer. I love the blend of those. I think that's going to be groundbreaking for other people to beat now as a trend. I can't wait to have you back on the show again soon, early in 2021, and, and find out what's happened in sort of the early start of a new year. But in the meantime, I hope you and your team stay safe. I hope you have a great holiday break in the next uh, few weeks. And uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you, Des. Great host. Can't wait to listen to it.